basically the only things I spent my money on growing up were football cards and baseball cards, video games, and Nerf guns. That's all that a boy needed growing up. If I had all those three things, then life was good. Um, but however, the more I grew up, the more money played an important role in my life. When I went to college, I started to think about saving up for my first car. I needed to save up money to go hang out with my friends at college. I needed uh, to start paying to go out on dates uh, with Jamie. Um, then uh, as I graduated college, I started to think about the cost of getting married and going on a honeymoon, uh, paying for all of our groceries year-round, and then we did get married, and I got a full-time job here um, at North Hills, and so I had to think about the costs associated with renting an apartment, had to think about the basic bills like the internet, water, electricity, etc., um, and then I had to think about the costs associated with purchasing a house. And now we have to budget our resources and think about investing in our future um, so that we'll have enough funds to last us uh, the, the rest of our lives. And I'm guessing most of you have a similar experience to this, where as you're growing up as a little kid, money is kind of just on the back burner. You're not really giving it much thought. But as you grow up, the more responsibilities you have, uh, you're paying the bills yourself, you're no longer living under your parents' roof, uh, money starts to play more of an important role in our lives as adults. And this can cause us to make money an idol very, very easily. And we need, to, we need to combat our natural tendency to make money an idol in our lives. And remember, an idol is anything that is more important to us than God. The Israelites, they struggled mightily with the issue of idolatry. They're putting anything or anyone, any God above Yahweh, our Heavenly Father, our, our, our God, um, and, and we need to stay away from this as well. So last week we talked about the idol of our relationships. Sometimes we, will, we let our spouses, our kids, our brothers and sisters, friends, coworkers, whomever it may be, oftentimes we let those relationships get in the way of our relationship with God, and that can serve as an idol in our lives. And today we're going to be talking about combating our idol of money. And let me tell you, the idol of money can seriously wreak havoc in your life. This morning, we're going to take a look at uh, one of the most well-known characters in our Bibles and see how money absolutely destroyed his life more specifically, the idol of money and the love of money. And this person goes by the name of none other than Judas Iscariot. Um, and so we're going to be talking all about Judas this morning and seeing how this idol of money, it completely destroyed his life. And we're going to be uh, getting our information uh, from the Bible uh, this morning. Actually, and actually, interestingly enough, there's actually uh, a group of Christians uh, in the early church known as the Gnostics. And, and Gnosticism is this idea that there's some hidden, deeper secret that needs to be uh, revealed, a deeper mystery. And these Gnostics, actually, they wrote a book uh, called the, the, the Gospel of Judas. And they actually more positively highlight uh, the, the life of Judas. But what does the Bible say? This is where our authority comes from. This is our source of doctrine, the source of what we believe is the Bible. So what does the Bible have to say about Judas and the idol of money in his life? 
So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 6. We're going to be jumping around through all of the different Gospels uh, this morning. So in Luke chapter 6, we kind of see the first bit of information that we know about Judas, that he became a disciple of Jesus. We don't really know much of anything at all about Judas before he decided to follow Jesus. But in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16, it reads, And these days he, that is Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Wow, when was the last time we spent all night praying to God? In verse 13, And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And so here Jesus was at near the very beginning of his ministry, and he spent all night praying to God, asking for God's guidance. And then when day came, Jesus, he called all of his disciples. The Greek word for disciples is mathetes, and it just refers to a learner. So basically anybody who is learning from Jesus, anybody who is following Jesus, Jesus called them all. And so we don't have an exact number of how many disciples Jesus had, but I would guess there, there, there were quite a few. I'm guessing there was a good bit more than just 12 whom Jesus called, as he called all of his disciples, all of the people in whom were following him, following him at that point in time. And after Jesus, you know, after he gathered all of these people, he, he, he picked out 12 to be his apostles. And the Greek word apostle is apostolos, and it just refers to someone who is sent. So here Jesus taking from the group of people who are following him is going to pick 12 special people that Jesus is going to send out into ministry that are going to be sent out to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And one of those 12 people was none other than Judas. And so what we know about Judas is first he became a disciple on his own initiative. He became a disciple on his initiative. He wasn't forced to be a disciple. It was something that he chose to do. He chose to follow Jesus. He chose to leave behind the, 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 all the other things that he, back, that he had back at his home, and he chose to follow his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And apparently, Jesus was quite impressed with Judas, and so Judas, or Jesus picked Judas to be one of the special 12 apostles that Jesus had throughout his ministry. And so Judas, he had a great start from what we can see in the scriptures. He decided to learn from Jesus. He he decided to follow Jesus, and Jesus then picked him to send him out to do his ministry. And he didn't have to follow Jesus. This wasn't a, a decision that someone else made for Judas. This was a decision that Judas made for himself. So he was off to a great, great start. I, I, I get the sense that he has a heart, just like the rest of these other 12 disciples. They have a heart that is on fire for God and his son Jesus, and they are ready to go out and be sent to do the ministry of Jesus. Well, unfortunately for the case of Judas, this great start does not last very long. If we take a look at the book of John, just one uh, book over, John chapter 12, we're going to see how this issue of money begins to corrupt Judas and his life and his ministry. 
And so in John chapter 6, John chapter 6, verses 12 through 16, we're going to see um, how uh, Judas is, um, how he's corrupted. Or excuse me, that was Luke. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. I said that the first time. So John chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, we see six days before the Passover. So this is near the end of Jesus' ministry and his life. And it says, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at Table. So here, uh, Jesus, he's celebrating with, with his close friends. Um, Lazarus, one of his dear friends, uh, died, but then Jesus miraculously rose Lazarus from the dead. So he's celebrating with Lazarus and some of his family. And so in verse 3, it states, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and, appoint, uh, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So here, Mary, a, a relative uh, of Lazarus, she is basically thanking Jesus for all that she had done for uh, her and her family. And she takes this really expensive perfume, a pound of perfume. That, that's a lot of perfume here. And she pours it and anoints it at the feet of Jesus. But then in verse 4, it reads, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, spoiler alert, said, Why was this ointment uh, not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And so here Judas, you know, kind of a, a, a logical guy, he's saying, Hey, why aren't we selling this pound of perfume for 300 denarii? Denarii is a day's worth of wages. So basically a year's worth of wages of perfume Mary was pouring on the feet of Jesus. And here Judas, he's asking, why didn't we, why didn't we sell this and give it to the poor? But we see his true intentions in verse 6. In verse 6, it says, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And so here Judas, as he is one of the 12 apostles, one of the 12 people that Jesus sent out into his ministry, one of the 12 people that Jesus really poured into throughout his life, Judas served an important role in Jesus' ministry. Judas served as the person who collected and, and managed the money that, that people don donated to Jesus and his ministry. So he was, he was regarded as the treasure. So Ju Judas is Jesus' treasure. Well, apparently... Judas loved money a little too much because he stole from the money that the people donated to Jesus and his ministry. And so here we see in chapter 12 of John, here we see the beginning where Judas loved money more than he loved Jesus and his heavenly father, God. And this love of money that Judas had, that, that, that this love of money that was greater than his love for God and his son, Jesus, this love of money caused Judas to be a thief. So because of this idol of money, Judas was a thief and was stealing from none other than Jesus and his own ministry. I mean, that would be, if I were a thief, that would be the last place I'd want to steal money from. It's from Jesus and his ministry. But that's how much Judas loved money because Judas made an idol out of money as money 
was more important to him than his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, unfortunately, it does not stop here for Judas either. As many of us know how this story progresses and continues, but in Matthew chapter 26, so back a, a couple of books. In Matthew chapter 26, in verses 14 through 16, we really see this love of money that Judas has, and it evolves, and it's becoming an ugly beast in his life. And so in Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 16, read, Then one of the twelve, this is talking about the twelve apostles whom Jesus sent out, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests. So here's something we have to know. Here's at the very end of Jesus' ministry. And the chief priests, they were enraged with Jesus. They, they were enraged with Jesus as Jesus was totally radicalizing their faith and claiming to be the Messiah. And the chief priests wanted nothing to do with this. They were fed up with this man. And so the chief priests, they were seeking someone to put Jesus to death. And here, Judas Iscariot one of Jesus' 12 closest disciples, one of his 12 apostles, came on his own initiative to the chief priests, the same group of people who are trying to kill his master. And in verse 15, it says, and says, so this is Judas talking to the chief priests, what will you give me if I deliver him, that's Jesus, over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he saw an opportunity to betray him. So Judas' relationship with his Lord and Savior, it was not worth 30 pieces of silver. As Judas loved money more than he loved God. Money was more important to Judas than it was his heavenly father and his son, Jesus. And so not only did this idol of money cause Judas to be a thief, but now this idol of money that Judas had in his life is now causing him to be a traitor. He is now seeking for opportunities to betray his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So a thief and now a traitor, and unfortunately, it does not stop there as in Matthew chapter 26, verses 47 through 49, this narrative continues. Jesus, he celebrates um, his, the, the Passover meal with his disciples, Judas there as well. And then Judas, he goes, or excuse me, Jesus, he goes to the garden to pray to God the night before he was crucified. And the night before, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 47, we read, while he was still speaking, that's Jesus, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi, and he kissed him. And so here the idol of money already made G Judas a thief. It already made Judas a, a traitor. And now this idol of money is causing Judas to lead a group of people to murder Jesus. He is assisting in the murder of the Messiah, of the anointed one of God. Why? Because Judas loved money. Money was more important to Judas than God. 
We see this constant theme throughout the story of Judas. And so Judas, he, he leads these chief priests, the, the, these bad people to Jesus. He uh, kisses Jesus, signifying that, hey, this is the one that you want. And then later, as we're all familiar with Jesus, he was crucified and he died for the sins of the world. And it started because Judas betrayed his Lord and Savior and he led a group of murderers, uh, uh, of traitors to Jesus Christ. And to top it all off, at the end of Judas' life, Judas had all this guilt rush upon him at the end, as it should have been, and he took his own life. He killed himself. He, he hanged himself because of this guilt, because of all of these awful, awful, awful things that the idol of money caused Judas to do in his life. And this is just one example, one of many examples that we could take a look at of how the idol of money can absolutely destroy one's life. When you put anything above God, I promise you, I promise you, it will destroy you. It will wreak havoc in your life, money included. We cannot put money above God. We cannot have an idol of money in our lives. And Paul talks about this. Paul talks about the dangers of money in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, as Paul is talking, and he's talking uh, about uh, this idea of money, and in verse 10 of chapter 6, uh, Paul writes, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And so here Paul says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, if you look at your Bible, most modern translations, they include the kinds or sorts. So it reads, the love of money is the root of all kinds or all sorts of evil. But when we, will, when we look at the literal translation of the Greek language, it reads, a root for all evil is the love of money. Not just sorts of evil, not, not just kinds of evil, but a root for all evil is the love of money. It's not saying that the love of money is the only root of evil, yet the love of money is a root which, which leads to all evil. And we saw that fulfilled in the life of Judas. This love of money led him to be a thief. It led him to be a traitor. And it led him to, to have a hand in crucifying Jesus. And so this love of money truly is a root of all evil in our lives. It will absolutely wreak havoc in your lives. The last passage, passage that we take a look at uh, this morning, Matthew chapter 6. I know we're going to a lot of different passages uh, this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, in the midst of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. When we read this in, in conjunction with Paul's words in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it makes a lot of sense. As Jesus, as he's preaching to the group of people in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God 
and money. Black and white. You cannot serve two masters. Either you will serve God or you will serve money or anything else within uh, this world. You cannot love both. If you love money, then you cannot serve God. You cannot serve God if you love money. And if you can't serve God, then guess what? Then everything you do is evil. And so it all starts again with this idea of loving money as the love of money is the root of all evil. And so we all have a choice to make this morning. Are we going to prioritize God in our lives or are we going to prioritize money in our lives? Are you going to love God or are you going to love money? Because you can't have it both ways. I find it extremely ironic that Jesus talks so much in his ministry about greed and so much about this issue of loving money. I mean, it's scattered throughout the, the entire scriptures, but very few think that they struggle with the idol of money, of putting money before God. And so why would Jesus talk so much about it if very few people think that they struggle with, with, with this idea of greed? And in my eyes, in my thinking, it's because that this idea of making an idol out of money, it's become so common in our society that we've gone completely blind to this idol. As, as we're all familiar with the American dream, and we know we have this freedom to work our way up the ranks, we have this freedom to serve money in our lives. We are blinded by it because it's so common, it's so prevalent in our society. And Jesus, he's aware of this. That's why Jesus talked about this issue of money and possessions time and time again. And this love of money is a root of all evil. And if I'm going to be honest with you guys, sometimes this is a struggle for me. Sometimes this is a struggle for me. Sometimes I get in, in this mindset. I, I'm a really frugal person. Jamie uh, will, will testify to that. I don't like spending money. Um, and sometimes I make an idol out of it because I'm trying to save as much money as possible. I don't want to spend money. I want to save as much. I want to invest for our future. And before I know it, I'm beginning to serve the dollar bill. And I'm no longer serving God because I cannot serve both at the same time. And I would encourage you to honestly evaluate yourself as well. Whom are you serving? Who are you working nine to five for Monday through Friday? Are you working for that dollar bill? Or are you working to serve God, to serve his coming kingdom? Do you sit there and daydream and fantasize about new ways to make money or new possessions to buy and looking with jealousy on those who have more than they do? Or do you get overly anxious about your finances? Or do you sit there and fantasize and daydream about how our God is so, so good? What does your thought naturally run to? Does it naturally flow towards money or does it naturally flow towards our good, good God? For where your treasure lies, there your heart lies also. And so if you are someone who honestly identifies the struggle with the idol of money, first and foremost, kudos to you. Kudos to you for honestly evaluating yourself as self-awareness is the first 
step to overcoming any issue that we experience in our lives. But if you do struggle with this idol of money, I'd encourage you to rather than than put your focus on how you can make more money and how you'll spend, save, or invest your money, focus on worshiping God with your money. So don't worship the money, but focus on worshiping God with your money. Put your focus on giving back to the church, giving back to LHI, to local nonprofits here in the area. Go back to serving your neighbor, to loving your neighbor as yourself. Serve and worship and love God. God with the finances that he has blessed you with here today in the 21st century. And so we cannot let money get in the way of our relationship with God. When we do, I promise you, it's going to destroy your life. We see that very clear in the example of Judas, a man who had this idol of money, a man who put money above God and it wreaked havoc in his life. We're all aware that God deserves our best. He needs to be our number one priority in our lives. And so as uh, we pass out a communion um, this morning, um, I I, I find it fascinating that on the night before Jesus was crucified, he celebrated the Passover meal with his 12 disciples with his 12 apostles, and Judas was included in the celebration. Judas, he struggled mightily with the idol of money. It it led him down the path that he did not want to go down. And unfortunately, it's too late for Judas to have a change in heart as he no longer has the breath of God within his lungs. But the good news for us is that it's not too late for any of us. As long as we still have God's breath within us, we can always turn to the Lord and give him all of our love. And so as we celebrate communion today, which is, which is uh, the ceremony, the remembrance of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, I want you all to think about the love that God displayed for you by sending his son to die for you. Thank you. And the question that I want you to ask yourself is how am I going to respond to God's love? How am I going to respond for his love in my life? Am I going to respond by giving him my best or am I going to respond by serving that dollar bill? And so I want you all to take a minute and focus on this love that God has given you and focus on how you're going to respond to that love. So just take a minute to reflect.
God loves you. God laid down his son for you to have a personal relationship with you. And we need to respond by giving God our best love, by making him the most important thing in our lives. And so if you open this top slip here, this bread represents God sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and Jesus' body being broken for each and every one of us. Let's partake of the bread. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the body of Jesus being broken for us. Father, we thank you for the love that you've demonstrated to each and every one of us. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us, can, our eyes can be open to your love for us as your son's precious, precious blood was poured out on behalf of all of us. We love you. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name that we pray. This cup represents the blood of Jesus being poured out for each and every one of us. Hopefully you have better luck than I opening your cup. All right, we can go ahead and partake of the cup together. Let's close in prayer. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for the resources that you have blessed us with. And Father, I pray that we use these resources to love you first and foremost. Father, I pray that we look upon the sacrifice of your precious son, Jesus. And I pray that that encourages us, that motivates us, that inspires us to love you with all that we have, with all of who we are, and with everything. We love you so much, Father, and it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray.